All right, have a seat if you would. And if you've got a Bible, uh, you may want to find uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and also uh, Genesis chapter 2, chapter 3. Let, let me start with a quick poll, okay? i got two quick questions for you. They're easy questions. Uh, you're in church, though, so you've got to be honest, right? Uh, hopefully you're honest in general, but uh, let's be honest for just a second. How many of you were here in the first service last week? Raise your hand if you don't care. All right, very good. How many of you who were here in the first service last week were wondering why there was a stranger wandering around with a video camera filming things? Okay, all of you, right? Human nature, right? You say, how'd I know that? How am I so? Well, some of you asked me, and some of you, I could just kind of see it on your face while I'm uh, preaching that, like, I don't know if you're even paying attention to me. You're like, what's this dude doing with the camera? So uh, let me tell you what was going on, and it relates to kind of something I want to share with you. So uh, anyway, there were a couple of guys here um, that are videographers. Well, one of them works for the Tennessee Baptist Convention. The other, I think, was the guy who was actually in here filming uh, is contracted with them. And uh, the Tennessee Baptist Convention annual meeting this year is going to be virtual. It's like a complete, you know, video online kind of presentation. And uh, they're uh, doing a story about the Micronesian church plant. And, um, you know, they interviewed Philip and I for that. So he was here shooting some B-roll. But uh, the day before, you know, they were here and they were doing some interviews and spent a long time talking to Pastor Elias. And this is, uh, you know, this is actually where I want to start the message. But I just thought I would be nice and satisfy your curiosity and uh, connect those two things uh, together. But, uh, you know, Pastor Elias is the pastor of Children of Christ, the Micronesian uh, church plant that we work with, uh, was a longtime professional professional wrestler. Uh, he went by the name the Wild Samoan. And, uh, but, you know, he moved here from Micronesia to go to college, went to Tusculum, ended up staying here and becoming a professional wrestler for like 30, 35 years, something like that, right? And, and so uh, that's kind of one of the things they were, you know, trying to show in, in, in the story. And, um, you know, he became, he did, he's only been a Christian uh, really just a, a few years. And so, you know, he did that for, for a really long time. And so they were asking him some questions about that. And uh, one of the guys grew up in Memphis, which I guess used to be like a wrestling hotbed. And so he was asking him different questions about who he had wrestled and, and, and this kind of thing. And at one point he said he wrestled Ric Flair. And uh, I, I loved Ric Flair when I was a kid. And so I kind of geeked out about that. Uh, somebody should have said woo instead of a in at that moment. There you go. Uh, but, uh, it's, it, but it's kind of ridiculous. You know, here you have these grown men here in a professional capacity geeking out over somebody talking about, you know, who, who they've wrestled. But uh, when, I, when I was a kid, we lived in the Alpha area of Morristown and kind of back behind us, uh, there was a guy who was like a local professional wrestler. And so sometimes they would like set up a ring in the yard and, and they would practice there. And so now everybody pretty much knows that wrestling, I'm not going to say fake because those guys are legit tough, but it's predetermined. It's scripted. It's kind of like athletic soap opera, so to speak. Um, I, hope I'm not, I hope I'm not bursting anybody's bubble here today, but I don't think that's the case anymore. I mean, you know, WWF is now WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment. They're admitting it. But when I was growing up, uh, you could start an argument for sure and maybe even a fight by saying that wrestling is fake. 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? You do. I thought it was just us rednecks, Sylvia. You're, you're from up north, so same way up there. Okay. Um, good to know. Um, but I mean, seriously, when, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I grew up in the, I was born in 1970, you know, grew up in the 70s and 80s. I mean, you could just about start a fight uh, over this issue. And, and so back then, you know, they were trying to protect the business. They were trying to, you know, try to give the illusion of reality here because, you know, the whole point of everything was just to make money, you know, uh, to attract fans and that kind of thing. And, and wrestlers, you know, it kind of came out of the, the carnival days, but, but they, in the wrestling business, they have terms for this. So they called someone who knew that it was predetermined a smart, and then they called someone that was naive to it, that thought it was real, somebody that they thought they could make a lot of money off of by continuing to get them to come and buy tickets and merchandise and whatever. They called them a mark. And so uh, kind of the point of the message today, really the next couple of weeks, is Satan wants us to be his marks. He wants to fool us, to trick us, to deceive us, to use his strategies, to trust him, to listen to him, to follow him, and to ultimately do what he wants us to do instead of what God wants us to do. God, though, wants us to be smart to his devices. Paul said we're not ignorant of his devices. And so my goal in this message today, and really it'll be next week too, it's kind of two parts of the same thing, is to smarten us up, so to speak, to make us wise to Satan's schemes, to his strategies, so we won't be marked, so we won't be deceived and led astray. In Ephesians chapter 6, to go back there, and uh, in verse 11, it says this. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And we talked about last week, and, and just to review again, wiles refers to Satan's wicked deceptive schemes and strategies to destroy us. You know, it, it's his tricks. It's being wily. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, that there's uh, a way that seems right into a man, but the end thereof is death. And so that's what Satan's trying to do. He's trying to trick us uh, to kill us. His desire is to destroy us, but his method is deception. Remember what we saw last week, if we're in Christ, Satan has power against us, but he doesn't have authority over us that's broken at the cross, so that means he can't make us sin, but he wants to trick us, deceive us into sinning. And, and to share a quote that I shared last week, just kind of in the way of review, Thomas Brooks put it this way, and this is what we're talking about. He says, Satan's first device to draw the soul into sin is to present the bait and hide the hook. And I think that's a great metaphor for deception. Present the bait, hide the hook. And so Satan wants to make it look good, but then in the end, use it to hook us, catch us, 
and destroy us. And so last week I, I used the analogy of Satan is, um, he's kind of watched the game film on our lives. You know, just like an athletic team watches the film to both analyze their performance and analyze the strengths, the weaknesses, the tendencies of their opponent, Satan, in a sense, is doing that with us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our background. He knows uh, what we've been through. He knows the buttons that we can push. But really, over, what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is for us to see the game film on Satan. And understand, he doesn't have any new schemes. He may dress them up in, the, in different ways, but he's been telling the same lies ever since the Garden of Eden. And so we're going to look at God's word, and we're going to look at his strategies. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at four strategies of Satan. This is actually based on a book by Warren Wearsby called The Strategy of Satan. And uh, I want to give him credit because the, the idea comes from him. Craig Rochelle preached a great sermon series based on this. I think it's called When Satan Knocks. Is that right, Andy? I always turn it into a different name, but... Is that correct? Something like that. Uh, I always want to call it when the devil comes knocking, but I think it's when Satan knocks, something like that. Uh, so we're going to look at probably one today. We might get to two, but uh, probably one today and three next week. But really the first one that we want to look at and spend the most time on really is Satan's main way of working, I think. It kind of undergirds even the other strategies. And, and that is the idea that Satan is a deceiver. I mean, that's just even built into this phrase where it talks about the wiles of uh, the, the devil. And so for each of these strategies, I, I'm going to give you a weapon, a target, and a defense. So when we say Satan is a deceiver, we, we want to understand what his weapon is, what his target is, and then what our defense is. And, and we're going to do that for, for each of these three. So, number one, we need to see that his weapon is lies. Satan's weapon is lies. Now, Jesus said in John 8, that Satan is a liar and, and, and the father of lies. So, that means that any lie ultimately has its source in the devil, so when we're lying, we're acting like Satan. Um, he's, the, he's the source of all lies. Now, he may speak those lies through people in a lot of cases, but he's the source of lies. Have you ever met somebody that, uh, like if you ask the question, if somebody asked the question of this person, uh, well, how do you know if they're lying or not? And maybe the answer would be, well, if their mouth is moving. <laughs> I mean, have you ever just met a habitual liar? Well, that's Satan to the nth degree. Satan always lies to some degree. Now, sometimes he'll tell part of the truth. I mean, when Satan speaks to us about God, he's always lying. When Satan speaks to us about us, though, he'll tell us part of the truth. He'll point out our sins. He'll just leave out what Jesus has done to forgive us of those sins. But Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. And the desire of his deception is to destroy us. 
I heard a story one time about a, a banker somewhere down south, I think like in Louisiana or somewhere like that, who was out uh, hunting one day and uh, he, he shot a bird and, 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 and the bird, you know, it fell to the ground after he shot it and he had to go find the bird. Well, and he went to retrieve the bird, he picked it up, but then a farmer met him and said, hang on, you can't have that bird, that's my bird. And the banker's like, no, that's not your bird, that's my bird, I shot the bird. He said, well, it's on my property though, so it's my bird. And so they go back and forth about that and they're arguing, he's like, I shot it, it's mine. And the farmer says, you're on private property, you're trespassing, so it's my bird. And so finally the banker Banker came up with a solution. He said, well, let's do this. He said, tell you what, we'll, we'll decide it this way. I'm going to let you hit me as hard as you can, and, and then you, you get to go first, and, but then after you hit me, I get to hit you back. And whoever screams the loudest loses, and um, the other person gets the bird. Men decide things, and ways like this. It just, it just happens. Um, and um, so the, the, the farmer agrees to it. And, and the banker's thinking, well, you know, I'm a lot younger than this guy. I work out. I'm a lot better shape than him. You know, I, I can handle this. The, 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 this will work. And so, uh, you know, they agree to do it. And so the, the farmer gets to hit the banker uh, first. And so uh, he, he steps up and, you know, he punches him in the jaw as hard as he can. And uh, the, the banker's pretty tough, though. He goes down, but he doesn't yell. He's pretty quiet about it. He just kind of whimpers a, a, a little bit. Uh, but he gets back up and does himself off and kind of composes himself and uh, now says, okay, uh, now it's my turn. Now I uh, get to, to hit you. And the farmer goes, ah, never mind. You can have the bird. I don't want it anyway. <laughs> and that's how Satan operates. He lies to us so he can take a swing at us. He's the father of lies. His weapon is always lies. He can't make us sin, so he'll trick us into sinning or, or doing something that's going to be hurtful to us. Now, like I said, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 3 and just look at Satan's interaction with Eve and, and, and see how he deceived her and hopefully learn from that and apply it to our lives. And I hope as we look at this, we'll be asking the, the, the question is, am I falling for any of these lies? Because if we are, it's going to hurt us and it's going to hurt other people. Now, before we look at Genesis 3, we need to just go back and look at two or three verses in Genesis chapter 2 just to, to, to be able to understand what is happening in Genesis 3. So, saying Genesis chapter 1 is the general creation story, you know, for everything. In Genesis 2, Moses comes back and focuses in particular on the creation of Adam and Eve as the, the crowning uh, jewel of God's creation made in the image of God, him bringing them together and marrying them uh, in, in effect. And, and so, but in Genesis chapter 2, this is before Eve was even created, God spoke to Adam. And understand part of the problem in Genesis chapter 3, Eve was deceived, but Adam abdicated his responsibility as the spiritual leader of his family. He wasn't there to protect her because God had given this direct revelation. And this is what he said to Adam in Genesis 2, starting in verse 15. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, before we get into Genesis chapter 3, I think we need to ask and answer uh, a simple but important question that often comes up about this. Why? Why, why was there a tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why did God tell him that he could eat of everything except that one tree? Why did God do this this way? Now, can I point out before I answer that question, though, some of you are like, I, I don't like rules, so I don't like God because there's all these commands and rules in the Bible, and, uh, you know, that is not for me. But can I just point out to you that when everything was perfect, before we screwed everything up, there was one rule. Apparently, God created us for maximum freedom with minimum uh, minimum, uh, you know, rules and regulations. But we have to have it now because of our sinfulness. But why would God do it this way? Well, let me give you three or four reasons. Number one, Tony Evans says, the whole point of the restriction was to enhance freedom. You see, this is part of Satan's lie. Uh, Satan says, you shouldn't be under any kind of restriction. You should just do whatever you want to do. But where does that lead? That leads to bondage. It's obedience that ends up leading to freedom. See, God had a good intention in giving this command. Satan warps it to make it seem bad, make it seem wrong. A second reason God gave this command is because he only wanted us to know good. He says the knowledge of good and evil. He only wanted them to know good. He didn't want them to eat of this. So they experienced evil and experienced the fact that there are built-in consequences to every choice. But here's the ultimate reason that he gave this command. He's God and we ain't. He's the creator. We're the creation. We're designed to live in trusting dependence upon him, in obedience to him, submitted to him. And um, so we're called to do what he tells us to do. He has the right to tell us what to do. And life only works right when we do what he tells us to do. And this is built in to the very fabric of creation. But then Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes along. And remember, Satan was Lucifer, one of the archangels in heaven who rebelled against God and had been kicked out of heaven. You know, he couldn't defeat God directly, so now he's going to attack those that are created in the image of God. And so it says in Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. And, and we know from the book of Revelation, twice it call, in Revelation it specifically calls Satan the serpent. He was cunning. He was wily. Remember the wiles uh, of the devil. And somehow, you know, he's manifesting himself in this animal form. And uh, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You understand what he's done? He's questioned God's word. 
Now he's denied God's word. Verse 5, he twists God's word. He says, for God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. So she uh, was tempted physically. She was tempted emotionally. Uh, she, you know, the lust of the flesh, the, the pride of the, the eyes, uh, she, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and ate because it's more fun to sin with somebody else, right? Not just do it alone. But then notice what happens in verse seven. The worst moment in human history says, then the eyes of both of them were opened. Here's the problem. Satan said, your eyes will be open to see that, so you can be like God. But what was actually open to evil and its reality and its consequences, because they knew they were naked. They were naked before, but it says in Genesis 2.25, they were unashamed. Now they're ashamed. Now they're guilty. Now things are broken. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering the, the first attempt at human religion, human works righteousness in the history of the body. They're trying to cover themselves. But the good news is they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? And we'll come to, back to that at the end because that's our hope. But Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. And I want to point out from this passage five lies that he told Eve that he's still telling us today in some form. The first one is this, God's word's not true. He started by questioning it, has God indeed said? And then he denied it. Uh, remember uh, what he said? Uh, you will not surely die. And then he twisted uh, to make it different than what God actually said to them. So listen, anytime we began to question the word of God. We deny the word of God. We add to the word of God. We take away from the word of God. We're hearing the voice of the enemy. Now, that doesn't mean if we have questions or doubts or we struggle with things that, that we should just bury those. We need to work through them. But you see, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is wrestling with something Unbelief is willfully rejecting something. And that's what Satan was trying to get her to do. Listen, a lot of you have heard my testimony before, but, uh, you know, I, I became a Christian when I was nine. But uh, I went through a, a period of time when, when I was in, in college, even, uh, you know, some of it after, well, I mean, it's all after I knew that God was calling me to the ministry, some of it even after I kind of said yes to that, of where I went through, a, a, you know, just a lot of struggles, a lot of doubts, a lot of questions, you know, is the Bible true? Is this really God's word? Uh, is, uh, you know, is Jesus real? Did he rise from the dead? You know, all those kind of things. And, and a lot of it came from, I was a student at Carson Newman, and I thank God for the miracle that God is working there with Dr. Fowler as president and, and leading it to a place uh, of biblical faithfulness. But a lot of it came, to, uh, came from, really, the fact that my professors had an agenda to get us to question the Bible. And, uh, you know, they tried, I mean, one of the things that my professor said is, we're going to try to enlighten you out of your Sunday school faith. <laughs> 
That's a quote. And they told us about mistakes in the Bible and, and, and things that were wrong and things that, that weren't true and things that didn't really happen. You know, for instance, you know, Genesis 1 through 3, Genesis 1 through 11 is a myth. It's not, you know, actual history and that kind of thing, even though everything else in the Bible is based on that. And like Adrian Rogers said, if Genesis 1 1 is a myth, John 3 16 is a farce because Paul, Paul's entire doctrine of salvation is based on Jesus being the second Adam, which means there has to be a little first Adam. So you can't pick and choose uh, out of the Bible. And just with the way I'm wired, that led to a lot of questions. And I mean, and I could go on for a long time about the things, the kind of things that, that they brought up. But I'm just telling you, I don't care who says it. I don't care if it's a professor at a Christian university. I don't care what kind of credentials they have. When someone begins to uh, question, when someone begins to deny, when someone begins to twist uh, the Bible, the word of God, it's the voice of Satan that's in operation. He wants to deceive us. He wants to lead us astray. Because the reality is this. And I think I was right in this. If the Bible's not true, there's no way I was basing my life on it and following Jesus. That'd be dumb. So is it the word of God or not? But, you know, some of us, maybe we would say, maybe, you know, we, can, we know it's the inspired and errant word of God. We can quote all those things. But how often just in our day-to-day -day life do we doubt it? Do we twist it? You know, sometimes when we're reading the Bible, we make it say something it really doesn't say because we don't like what it says and we don't like the implications for our lives. That's Satan deceiving us as well. Faith is taking God at his word and acting on it. Or I like the way Tony Evans puts it. He says, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. So are we going to believe what God says about us? Are we going to believe what the world says about us? Are we going to believe our own thoughts? Are we going to believe our own feelings and emotions? Listen, just because you and I think something or feel something, it doesn't make it true. That's one of Satan's lies. So is our truth source actually God's word? Listen, I think all kinds of stupid stuff. I feel crazy things sometimes, believe it or not, I have feelings. And, 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 and I think all of us, uh, during the craziness of this year, and you add in what we've been going through personally this year, I've had some days, I may not, it may not be out on my sleeve, I've had some days where my emotions have been like a roller coaster, at least a small one. Uh, but listen, just because we think something, we may think things that are utterly ridiculous. We have to take that thought captive by the truth of God's word. The same thing with our feelings. Satan's a liar and he works through our thoughts. He, he, he can work through our, our feelings. Everything we think, everything we feel is not reality because, you know, truth, that's what it actually is, reality. Listen, don't condemn yourself just because you have some crazy thought pop in your mind. Just don't indulge it, but take it captive. We can all think some crazy things, but we can take that thought captive. Listen, Satan, just because you're tempted with something doesn't make it sin. The sin comes when you act on it. 
And sometimes Satan wants to condemn us just because he's tempted us. Actually, there's virtue and righteousness and blessing from God when we resist that temptation. And listen, Satan can, you know, something, sin is the twisting of that which is good. Satan's never created anything. All he's ever done is counterfeited what God did. God made everything very good. He wants to twist it. Listen, it's natural for you to have sexual desire. That's not sin. What the sin is, is when we begin to lust or we begin to indulge our eyes or we act on it with another person in some kind of sinful way. Just having a natural desire is not in and of itself sinful. Satan will lie to us in all kinds of ways, but we have to decide if we're going to base our lives on God's word or not. But here's the thing. A lot of you say, oh yeah, I believe the Bible. I believe it's God's word. Word, but how much of the Bible do you know? How often are you in the Bible? You don't have any truth to fight the devil with. That's why your life is so messed up. That's why your life is such a struggle. Listen, Satan will do anything to keep us out of God's word because he knows then that he can have full reign in our minds and in our feelings and in our actions. But because the reality is we can uh, be saved but we can live nothing like it because we don't have truth to live our lives based on. So when we talk about, you know, finding a Bible reading plan, you know, signing up for the ones, one of the ones in you version or something like that, disciplining yourself, scheduling to spend time with God and his word and prayer every day, this is part of the reason why it's so important. A second lie that Satan tells us is that we can live independently of God and be our own God. He said, for God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. According to Romans 1.25, this is the ultimate lie. It, it, Paul said there, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The ultimate lie is we can be our own God. We can live our own life, uh, you know, be, do what we want to do, that we can have it our way, that we can be the master of our own uh, fate. You know, you do you, that kind of thing. We have to understand that we are created to live in dependence upon God and that life does not work when we try to live independently of him. Stories told of Muhammad Ali. Uh, one time he was flying on an airplane and uh, he, he believed that Allah had told him that he would never die in an airplane crash. And, uh, but uh, he, he didn't have a seatbelt buckle. And a stewardess came by and said, uh, you need to, to buckle your seatbelt. And uh, Muhammad Ali said, uh, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the stewardess replied back, Superman don't need no plane. <laughs> She kind of put him in his place. And, and what this text is doing is putting us in our place as the creation under the creator. And we need to understand that. We can't live independently of him doing whatever we want and expect that there not to be consequences. See, a lot of us spiritually are like teenagers, now, I'm not picking on teenagers. I'm just uh, telling the truth. And I, I'm not just talking about people who are teenagers now. We were the same way when we were teenagers. The thing that's difficult about being a teenager and the thing that's even more difficult about uh, maybe is being the parent of a teenager sometimes is that uh, teenagers want to be independent and dependent at the same time. 
right? And, and, and some of this is just natural. Some of it can be sinful sometimes, but it's just kind of the natural order of things, right? They, they want to be independent. They want to be able to go places, do things, not have a curfew, do what they want to do. And, uh, but at the same time, they want you to take them those places and give them money to spend at those places and feed them and make sure they have clean clothes to wear uh, at those places. Some of you are squirming a little bit. I'm kind of liking it. Um, <laughs> right? Is this not how it works? We were the same way. But the problem is, you can't be independent and dependent at the same time. God says you can't live independently of me on my planet. In my body that I gave you, breathing the breath that I give you to breathe, and the food that I give you to eat, and so on and so forth. We're created to live in dependence upon God, and it's a lie that we can live independently of him and it work out well. The third lie that he told here is that God is not good to you, so you have to find out what is best for yourself. Isn't the whole implication of what he's saying here is God's holding out on you? There's something more. There's something better. And isn't that what Satan tells us all the time? Aren't we told in our society that we need to figure it out for ourselves? We need, you know, my truth and not the truth. Or aren't we a lot of times like uh, kids on Christmas Day who get every toy that they want except for one and they're pouting over the one thing they don't have. You know, Satan uses that lie to wreck marriages. Your marriage may be 90% great, but there's one thing uh, that you can't stand. But instead of putting up with it, you go try to find greener pastures somewhere else. And maybe you do in the short term, and then you find out there's 10 things about that person that you can't stand when it's all said and done. He wants to rob us of our contentment when we're going through trials. Doesn't Satan whisper to us, God's not good? Or even if we won't fall for that one, yeah, God may be good, but he's not that good to you. He loves people, but he doesn't love you that much. He's not really fair to you. Look at this person over here. Look at how much they have. Look at how easy their life is. Look at how much God has blessed them. Satan will tell us God is holding out on us. Satan will tell you, you know, even if you, you know, hold on to the truth of Scripture, I, that God is good, I've fallen for this lie before, but something's wrong with me. You know, I'm in some kind of sin or God's mad at me. That's why I'm going through these trials. That's why I'm going through these difficulties. He's a liar. That's why we have to know the word of God. A fourth lie that he tells us is that we can define our own identity instead of letting God define us. Isn't that what Satan said? You can be like God. You know what the crazy thing about that was? Really what he was saying to them is you can be God because they were already like God. God made them in his image and his likeness. You see, our identity is that we are made in the image of God as male and female and then remade in Christ as adopted children of God. How do you see yourself? You see, Josh McDowell's right when he says a healthy self-image is seeing ourselves as God sees us. Nothing less, nothing more, because both of those, well, seeing ourselves as more leads to pride. Seeing ourselves as less leads to insecurity, which actually ends up being pride because we then try to compensate for those insecurities in prideful uh, kind of ways. 
See, we often form our identity through our own thoughts and feelings. Oh, I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm dumb, I'm useless, I'm a failure. All, you understand, that's the voice of the enemy. That's not what God says about you. He says, I, you're my child made in my image. You're gifted, you're beloved, you're accepted. I love you so much that I died for you. We, we form our self-image through comparison. We form our self-image through uh, you know, society's images of us. I think women especially are bombarded with all of these images of these, quote, perfect women that in reality is plastic surgery and airbrushing and is not even realistic for the average person. It's the lie from the enemy. It applies to the abortion debate. You know, a baby's called a fetus or a product of conception. It's an identity issue. Gender and sexual preference it's supposed to be up to us when Scripture says God made us male and female and said the two shall become one flesh. God's already defined that. We have his truth. So anything outside of that is the voice of the enemy lying to us. Listen, if you have thoughts or feelings that you're gay or that you're transgender or something like that, talk to somebody about it, but talk to somebody who will give you the truth of God. You know, in our society, now we're told, uh, you know, you're awesome. You can do whatever you want to do. You can do it all from the time we're little kids. But why is it that depression and drug abuse and suicide is so much on the rise if all those things are true? Because deep down, we know it's really not true. You see, we tend to deify and demonize ourselves at the same time. I kind of polled the staff on uh, something kind of related to this message the other day, and Jacob Wilkie sent me this meme, and it's so true. It's, I dislike myself, you know, from very inaccurate to very accurate. I am perfect, from very inaccurate to very accurate. How do you, how you told to think you're perfect and you're awesome and all these things and dislike yourself at the same time? Why? It's because we don't know who we really are in Christ. We're living on the world based on the world's viewpoint of us. And then the fifth lie that I want to point out here is this. We can choose to disobey God without experiencing the consequences. What'd Satan say? You will not surely die. Every one of us has fallen for this lie at some point. Nobody's going to know. You can get away with it. It's not going to hurt anybody else. You know, that's one of Satan's biggest lies. You know what the truth is? Every sin hurts me, it hurts God, and it hurts somebody else because we don't live under ourselves and we don't die under ourselves. We're, we're all connected together. It's your life. He tells that lie. You can do with it what you want to do. How about this? It's just a small sin. You can confess it later. You can handle it. You ever gotten um, an advertisement from a credit card company that starts out, congratulations, like you've been upgraded to platinum status or something like that. You ever fallen for that? 
Don't answer. I know a lot of us have. And ended up paying minimum payments and uh, humongous amounts of interest for years. That's what sin's like. Tells us we're awesome, promises something great, and ends up costing us for years and years and years. Somebody said sin will take you farther than you want to go and cost you more than you'll ever want to pay. That's why Andy Stanley says, if we could see what God sees, we would do what God says. And if we look in his word, we can see what God sees, that the wages of sin is death, that we're not the exception, that we can't sin and get away with it. Listen, don't believe the lie. So, do any of these lies you've been believing So Satan's weapon is lies, but his target is our mind. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says this. He says, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That's why in Romans 12.2 and other places in the Bible, we're told uh, to renew our minds. You know, why is our mind so important? Why does Satan attack us in our minds? Well, I think it's because Rick Warren's right when he says, my thoughts control my life. You see, here's four things that are true. and They come from Rick Warren. He's exactly right. All behavior is based on a belief. Do you realize that? We do what we believe. The Bible uh, just connects those two things together uh, without exception. We do what we believe. But second, and we see this in Genesis chapter 3, behind every sinful behavior, there is a lie that I believe. Why? Satan can't make us sin. He deceives us into sinning. So behind every sin I commit, there's a lie I believe. Therefore, change always starts in the mind. Repentance is a change of mind. And so then the key to changing our feelings and changing our behavior is by uh, changing our beliefs and thinking by replacing the lies with truth. So, Look at this graphic. It comes from our counselor, Lori Arwood. We've used this in, in, in the past. It's kind of a truth tree. And if, if you look at it, you see down at the bottom, the roots uh, of the tree is our environment. And all of us have an environment. Maybe it was healthy. Maybe it was unhealthy. In reality, it's some combination of the two. But there are things that have happened that have formed who we are and have formed the way we think. But uh, we have beliefs. And we're either believing lies or we're believing truth. And those beliefs and those thoughts then end up leading to our feelings and our actions. But here's the thing. If you notice, the reason that feelings and actions are up here, they're the fruit. And a lot of times our effort at change, our efforts at change are fruit-focused. We need to stop focusing on the fruit and get to the root. And the root is what we believe and how we think. Because if we think differently, we're going to act differently. And, then, and we're also going to feel differently. You're saying, feel differently? I can't control my emotions. You're just an emotionless man up there trying to say this to me. 
Do you understand? That's a lie from the devil. Emotions aren't good or bad. Emotions are symptoms of the soul. Just like you feel a certain way physically based on what's going on in your body, we feel a certain way emotionally because of what's going on in our soul. And so there's nothing wrong with having a certain emotion. It's what we do with it. Do you understand? You may feel sad, but you can begin to change your mind by focusing on the truth of the word of God, by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can give you joy that transcends the, the emotion of sadness. You may be worried and anxious and fearful about things, but as you get into the word of God and you see God's presence, God can give you supernatural peace that transcends those emotions. So uh, we don't have to be stuck in those emotions. But beyond that, we don't have to act based on our uh, emotions. You say, really? I don't have to act based on my emotions? Well, let me, let me give you an analogy. See, I, I think sometimes when it comes to emotions, men and women judge each other and talk past each other. Is this true? Somebody should have said amen or woo or something there. Um, so let, let's just say, Heather, one day you saw me out somewhere and I was just giving Robin down the road. I mean, I was being rude, uh, just yelling at her, saying mean things to her and something like that. And, and, and afterwards, you called me out on it. You said something to me about it. You said, I can't believe you're talking to your wife that way. You shouldn't be talking to Robin like that, so on and so forth. And, and, and I, I said, uh, well, but I felt angry. What would you say to that? You're not buying that, are you? Would that justify me talking to her that way? But I had the feelings. Do you get what I'm getting at? We don't have to act on the way we feel. You might be down in the dumps, doesn't mean you have to go eat two gallons of ice cream just because it makes you feel better. Or it doesn't mean, if you're having a rough day, it doesn't mean you go get to look at porn because you're having a rough day and you feel bad. Satan's a liar. He lies to us through our thoughts and our feelings. God says we need to take those things captive. And we can do that by his truth. You see, our defense, his weapon is lies. His target is our mind. But our defense is the truth of the word of God. In Ephesians 6, 14, he says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. In verse 17, he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And in a couple of weeks, as we get into the armor of God, we'll get into detail as far as, you know, how we actually use these things in our lives. But John 8, 32, Jesus said, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So just quickly in closing, how do we actually change the way uh, that we think? How do we actually renew our minds through the truth of the word of God? Well, three things. We have to feed our minds with truth. Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's why it's so important for us to regularly be in Scripture because if we're not in Scripture, we're not wearing the belt of truth, which is foundational, the rest of the armor, and we uh, don't have a sword with which to fight the devil. We're fighting him in our own strength and our own devices then, and we're going to lose that battle every time. Remember what he says here, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. But we can't do that apart from truth. Second is freeing our minds from destructive thoughts. 
2 Corinthians 10, he tells us to take every thought captive. What does this mean? Well, I've shared this with you before, but I don't want to say it again because it fits here. It means I don't have to think what I'm thinking. You can take that thought captive. It means I don't have to believe what I'm thinking. Listen, like I say, it's not sinful for a crazy thought to pop into our heads, but we just got to call it out and say, that's not true. This is what God says. This is what's true. And if we consistently do that, that's where change is going to come in our lives. I don't have to do what I'm thinking. Just because I'm thinking it or feeling it, I don't have to act on it. I don't have to say what I'm thinking. And I most certainly don't have to post what I'm thinking. <laughs> Please do that one. <laughs> and then ultimately, we focus our minds on the right kind of things. You know, Philippians 4.8 talks about, you know, thinking on things that are true and just and lovely and uh, so on and so forth. The Bible tells us to set our minds on things above, to, to fix our minds on Jesus Christ. Craig Rochelle is right when he says something like this. He says, uh, the direction of our lives will be determined by our strongest thoughts. The mind is the command control center of a human being. If you want to change your life, change the way you think. How do you change the way you think? Let your mind be renewed by the word of God. Why is this so important? Because Satan's our enemy. He hates you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. His weapon is lies. His target is your mind. And your defense is the word of God and letting God's word renew your mind. So I uh, encourage you, challenge you, ask you, if you're in Christ, identify where he's lying to you and go to the truth of God's word and replace those lies with his truth. Talk to somebody if you need to. Talk to somebody if you're struggling with that. But let me encourage you with this if you're not a Christian. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And you know, we're so used to sin, we can't fathom the horror of that moment when they fell and everything got corrupted. But you don't want to know what the most amazing thing is about Genesis 3? is God came looking for them. And God called their name. And God said, these coverings you've made for yourself are insufficient, but I'm gonna kill an animal. The first picture of the cross in the Bible, was actually the second because he said something else in Genesis 3, but it's a picture of the cross, the innocent slain to cover uh, the guilty. He came looking for them. That's grace. And listen, Satan is such a liar that he tempts us on the front end and then he condemns us on the back end. But the Bible says there's no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. And know that God is looking for you. That's the kind of father he is. He sent his son on a rescue mission to save you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you are, he is looking for you, inviting you to come home to him through the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen, we've all been deceived. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus die for all of our sins, we can trust him. That's the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.